Welcome to the Healthy Charleston Podcast, where we help you take ownership of your health and fitness. My name is Hannah, and I am here to be your source of accurate health and fitness information while spreading awareness about all of the different health and fitness resources available to you in the Charleston area. Be sure you're subscribed so you never miss an episode. I hope you enjoy the show. This episode with Lauren Vega was so lovely and it was so cool to hear all of her stories. Lauren oversees marketing and operations at Atlas Food Co. She teaches yoga at Grace Yoga and at The Works, and she's also a chef and a writer. Lauren has had some really unique and exciting experiences, and she tells us all about them, about her journey and her story of wellness from doing yoga teacher training in high school, to being a chef on a sailboat, to training with a Michelin star chef in Patagonia. She also opens up about her struggles and lessons learned along the way and what has continued to help her take leaps of faith and do what she loves. Lauren is passionate about helping people view wellness holistically instead of focusing on just one category, as we often do. Lauren feels that we should be taught how to do great things for your mind, body, family, and community without isolating one category or another. She also tells us about some exciting new things with Atlas Food Co. coming soon in Charleston, so stay tuned for that. Before we start, please follow us on Instagram and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. And now, Lauren Vega. What's up, Lauren? Thank you so much for coming on the Healthy Charleston podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to get to know you. It feels like you have a very interesting story. So can you tell us first what you do here in Charleston? Yes. So right now I'm working full-time for a food company called Atlas Food Co. We're a local meal delivery company um, that's trying to be the most sustainable meal company out there. So all of our food is locally sourced, all of our packaging is compostable, and we deliver right to your door. On top of that, I also teach um, at Grace Yoga as well as The Works. I private chef. I crew on sailboats. So I do a little bit of everything. Do a lot of different things for sure. Okay. So let's go way back when. Let's start background. Like how did you get to where you are and doing what you're doing? Yes. So I'm originally from Huntington, West Virginia, which if you know the movie, We Are Marshall with Matthew McConaughey, that's my hometown. Oh, that's cool. Marshall University is my hometown university. And I was there for my entire childhood. The background in yoga, I think, is the first thing that started for me. So when I was like a little bitty baby, my mom would take my brother and I to her fitness classes at the local YMCA Mm -hmm. and like put us in the corner and give us one of those BOSU balls to play with and just say, go have fun while she taught classes. So she was teaching. She was teaching all the time. She was doing aerobics and step classes and um, water aerobics, anything she was trying to move. So when I got into middle school, she decided she wanted to get into yoga and she did her first teacher training and it was a really long process. Back then, the yoga teacher trainings were still the 200 hour, but they weren't the do it in a month or or go to Costa Rica and do it. It was do it for 18 months or 24 months. Like a school. Yeah. Yeah. Program. So she drove to Virginia from West Virginia once a month for 18 months and got her 200-hour training. After that, my stepdad got his training, and he did the same thing. After that, my brother got his training. Oh, my God, a family affair. And then after that, I got my training. So we were all trained by the same woman. Um, Her name was Anna Pittman. And 
we didn't do it because we all thought we wanted to be yoga teachers. We just saw the change in each other and we're like, oh, like I want to, I want to learn what they're doing. I want to get into that. So um, by the end of it, we were all teaching. My mom was teaching yoga classes in our garage apartment in our backyard and it just grew and grew and grew. And after a few years, she decided I'm going to open a studio. So she opened up a yoga studio in Huntington. It's called Brown Dog Yoga. And we were some of the first few teachers, like my Mm -hmm. family, we were the teachers. And then we added on more and we added on teacher trainings. And now it has grown to a space. She has two studios and they have yoga, TRX, cycling, bar. Like like the whole thing. It's the whole gambit. So that has been really, really a, a big part of why I am the way I am. Movement has always been huge for me. My dad also, my parents were divorced, so my dad was also very active. He did triathlons, and we would do, like, mini triathlons with him. So it was just always something that combined the family. So when I got my training in high school, I started – when I was 14, my 15th birthday was the weekend of my training. So I started it, like, right at 15 years old. Typical high schooler. Right? (laughs) So it was a really, really cool time for me because at the time, you know, you're going through a lot as a young girl and you just like don't know what to do and you're, you know, worried about school, worried about boys, worried about sports, all the things. And I had this like group of women who I could come to every single month and learn not only about yoga, but talk to about like emotions and how to handle them and how to handle your mind. And it was an education that I never imagined getting at that age. And I'm so grateful for them. There were women from ages like 23 all the way up to their 60s. And we were all just talking about the things that we were going through um, on top of learning how to teach. So that was something that that I'm really grateful for and that kind of guided me into seeing women as like a safe space. Um, There's a book called The Women Who Run With Wolves, and it felt like I had a wolf pack pretty much. And that's really special at that age. So in high school, I also started teaching yoga um, to my soccer team because you had to like earn hours for your teaching hours to get your your certification. And um, I started teaching yoga to my soccer team, to the track team, to the basketball team. And I was their peer. So I was like, yeah, they were laughing a little bit. But at the same time, they're like, oh, if she can do it, I can do it, which was a really cool feeling. So after that, I went to the college of Charleston. And I went for international studies and arts management. So I did international studies, to be honest, because I got a scholarship. I didn't know what international studies was. I had no idea where it would take me. And then because of that program, I had to double major. So during this whole time, it wasn't just yoga that I was obsessed with. I was obsessed with food. And that kind of led me to watching the Food Network, like religiously, Ina Garden was like, the best role (laughs) model ever. Like that would be my calm. Like I'd get home from school and I would just zen out watching Ina. And that kind of stemmed because my mom, she's a great baker. Both of my moms are incredible bakers. But my stepdad was a chef, I think. He, you grew he was, up with a great family. I had like, four parents. So and that they're was, all like active and they cook amazing things. Like yeah, you had it. That's yeah. great. They're, they were all very busy too. So both moms had small businesses and both dads were doctors. So they were always kind of gone and on call and, and working a lot. So we all kind of had to be adults and, and like work symbiotically with each other. 
So because of that, my stepdad or my dad would be away at work and my mom didn't cook. My stepmom was working her small business and I would be like, what's for dinner? And my mom would be like, there's a bag of carrots in the fridge. Do something with so it. So I was like, okay, um, I got to figure out how to make carrots taste good. So butter, obviously. Mm, lots of butter. I just started cooking that way. And then he would get home late at night and he would start like the real dinner and start like making – he did – like chicken stuff with prosciutto and gouda or um, he had me eating like veal and things that you would never eat as a kid. And he just introduced me to so much. So when I went to CFC, I was like, how can I get food involved? And unfortunately, they didn't have like a food program. So I chose arts management because it was the closest thing I could mm -hmm. get to it. And the way that I did it was for the time that I was in college, I tried to convince the head of the department that food was art. And by doing that, I interned with Charleston Wine and Food. I interned at FIG. I worked with a bunch of chefs in the area because those were counting as my internships. Those were counting as my service hours. Those were counting as my credits. And by the time that I finished, I just felt like I had been so ingrained in food and that's what I wanted to do. During college, I taught yoga classes and fitness classes at CFC. And I also started when the work started at President Street. So I was going to school. I was in the honors college. I was teaching classes. I was just always busy, yeah. double majoring. I was just always grinding. So by the time I finished, I finished a year early and I you finished. Wait, let's just like <laughs> you did all of that and you still managed to finish early. Yeah, I just superwoman. I was so tired of school at that point. Like mm -hmm. I'm a huge nerd in high school. I pushed so hard. I did every sport. I did every AP class I could take. I wanted to just see how far I could go, essentially. And by the time I chose where I wanted to go to college, I chose the college that gave me a better life over mm. the college that would have been maybe better on a resume. And I don't regret doing that because I feel like I did get such a good life here in Charleston and I was connected with the community so much more than I would have been if I had been kind of isolated on a campus of thousands of people. So yeah, graduated a year early and had no idea what I was gonna do. And that spring, as college kids are want to do, they I was going out. I was like going out to the bars and hanging out with my friends and celebrating the end of college. And I met a crew at a bar and they were a sailboat crew. So because I grew up in West Virginia, which was a very landlocked state, I had never heard of the sailing industry ever. And apparently we have a really incredible sailing I know, team. apparently so. <laughs> I learned the same thing when I moved down here. I was like, what do you mean? Yeah. That people do this. Yeah. So it was brand new to me and they came up and I was asking them questions. That's something that I've always done is I love asking people questions. And I was like, what? Like, this is a life. You live on a boat and you travel the world and you just like take the owner around or charter the boat out. And they were like, yeah, yeah, we do. We do. And I was like, okay, well let me know if you guys ever want a chef. And that being said, I had never had any experience <laughs> chefing. I had just been around food for so long. So they were like, okay, okay. And I thought, okay, that's the last time I'll ever see them again. And in the meantime, 
I was trying to figure out where I wanted to go. So I booked a trip to Peru with my cousins just as like a congratulations. We all graduated. We're going to go travel. So while I was in Peru, I was experiencing so much food and there was a chef there who I had known about. His name is Francis Malman. Have you ever seen Chef's Table on Netflix? Mm -mm. You got to watch it. It's like the first season, I think episode three or four. And he was just this like huge romantic. He would make these dishes over open fire in the middle of Patagonia, in the middle of the snow, or his stove in his house was like a wood-fired stove. And I just thought he was very like old school for being in this day and age. So I found him on Instagram. I <laughs> slid, in, those slid <laughs> in his DMs and I was like, hey, I'm in South America. I'm close to Patagonia. Like, where you at? And no, let's do this. Where are you? <laughs> and he messaged back. He was like, I'm in Buenos Aires in Argentina. And I was like, oh, I can be there. So I found a flight and we all my cousins were like, we're going to Argentina to meet this man you've never yeah, met. Yeah, exactly. Like, yep, yep. That's exactly what we're doing. So we got to Argentina. I met him. He met my cousins and I. And he was like, well, if you would want to come back, like, you're welcome to come back and learn. So then we left, went back to the States. I was kind of like, okay, I guess this is what I'm doing next. Well, I was getting ready to leave a month to go. And I get a message from the captain of the boat that says, hey, would you like to come and be a chef? And I was like, holy <laughs> shit, like absolutely. Yeah. I would love to come be a chef, but I have this other chef who really wants me to come to the middle of nowhere, Patagonia, and I gotta do that too. So how am I gonna do both? So I talked to them and they're like, okay, like take your time, go to Patagonia because you're yeah. gonna learn things that are gonna benefit us. For sure, yeah. And then when you're ready, come to the boat. So that's what I did. I went to Patagonia. I learned so much from from Francis. And when I was ready after a couple months, I flew directly from Patagonia to Australia and I met the boat there. That's where the boat was? Yeah. Okay. I have so many follow-up questions. First, <laughs> what bar? I have to know what bar you met these It was on. Cocktail Club. Oh, yeah. okay. So like a classy, I'm like, yeah. at CFC, were you like public house or mm -mm. Um, was Midtown still a thing then? Midtown or was, was still a thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was cocktail. Okay. Club. Yes. And then Australia. So also you went to, I mean, this person is famous. Everyone knows him, but still a random man mm -hmm. messaged him on Instagram. And then you spent a couple months learning from him. Mm -hmm. What was that like? What did you do? Yeah. So I flew into Buenos Aires again, and then I met him. We got on another plane, flew three hours south, got in a car, drove five hours into the middle of nowhere. My mom was freaking out, by the way. Yeah, like at, um, at any point where you like, am I being trafficked exactly. right now? <laughs> exactly, no, my mom was freaking out. My parents actually got me a satellite phone, which is very expensive, but they were like, we don't care, like we want you to have access to the outside world mm -hmm. if something were to go wrong. So I had a sat phone with me, which was great, but I had no cell service. There was no Wi-Fi. There was no, I wasn't talking to anybody. So when were you we with got, anyone? Was I was it, with him. But with, was anyone else there? Not at first. Okay. So we drove five hours into the mountains and then we get on a boat. And we go on a boat and we go across a lake. And once we get across the lake, I see this beautiful house and this little hut next to it. And then I see other people and I'm like, okay, okay. thank God, <laughs> thank God. So 
he has people who live on the island full time who take care of the space. He comes and goes because he travels a lot. And then he has chef teams who come for the guests who are visiting. So that's what I was kind of doing. It was very similar to what the boat experience is. You have guests come on, you give them an experience, and then they leave. And I was part of the chef team. I was learning from the people who had obviously been there much longer, but we were out there preparing the meals from scratch. So throughout the time that I was there, we were catching fish, we were building fires, we were making doughs, we were essentially just up from sunrise to sunset and past to make these meals from pretty much nothing. Like there was no grocery store, there was no farm, it was snowy, there's like very little to work with, but we worked with what we had and we made like these incredible, incredible meals. And I can share photos with you if you want to see I'm them like later too. hungry. This is yeah. amazing. And it was a great experience. But, you know, I always say like when you meet, you shouldn't meet your hero or sometimes you sometimes you shouldn't meet your hero because when you meet this person who you've idolized, you realize that they're human too. And you start to recognize like, oh, they don't have all the answers that I was looking for. And I thought they did. And so I was there and I was seeing this chef who was making these incredible meals as a tribute to his home. And he was doing so much to put Patagonia on the map that I started thinking about home. And I was like, I wanna do this for West Virginia. I wanna do this for my home so, so bad. And why am I here, you know, if I could be there? And obviously in, in retrospect, I was there because I, I needed to learn that lesson and I needed to learn from him. But it was such a shocking like, oh, like he didn't have my answers. Like I had my answers and home felt like my answer at that time. So it was a really good experience just working with him, not only because I learned that, but also because I learned so many different chefing skills too. So And like what a once in a lifetime unique experience to mm -hmm. he was the Michelin star chef. Yeah. yeah, like you're never gonna get that again. Yeah. And so while you were thinking about home, instead you went to Australia. Mm -hmm. Tell me how that worked out. Yeah. So I had committed to working on the boat for a full year. It's a year contract. And I decided to to go and that was kind of a baptism by fire on its own. We had a head chef and I would be sous chef and then total the crew was 12 and he was a 45-year-old Serbian man and I was a 20-year-old American female and we butt heads so, so bad because I was like strong and independent and I wanted to do it my way. And he was very, very strong and very, very just like, this is how it's done. So at one point he had me like cleaning the galley with a Q-tip. It was that. Oh, it was like a movie. It was crazy. And I was like, what am I doing? But I learned so much from him, like so, so much about time management, about like balancing all of your responsibilities, also about cooking. But it's really just like a full immersion on being the most efficient and competent version of yourself as possible. And I felt before I had felt I was very efficient, very competent, but the boat taught me just another level of that. What do you feel like were some of those specific things, like life things that you learned? Yeah. So one of them 
was definitely just working with people as they are. Like a lot of the time I feel like I want to change people and I want them to see me and understand me as I am. But sometimes you have to recognize that like you're not going to see eye to eye and somebody's way might not be the way you would have done it. But because like you respect them and you want to work well with them, you're going to figure out how to work together. Otherwise, it just won't work at all. So that was one of the big things. And then the other was remaining an individual was huge for me because the yachting industry is very, very alcohol heavy. Like you, you finish your work, you get off and you go out to a bar and you drink. And I, I mean, I drink, but I never really loved to get drunk or anything like that. So I was kind of like the black sheep out where after work I would get off and then I would go up on deck and I would start like doing yoga or I would go for a walk or I would go find a museum or like things that I wanted to do to explore, I felt like I was kind of isolated in in wanting to do those things. So I had to be really, really strong in who I was and what I valued in order to not kind of fall into just what everybody else was doing. So that was a big, a big hard lesson for me to learn. Yeah. I mean, again, two like really valuable lessons to get really young that I'm sure serve you so well doing what you do now. And we'll definitely get into that. Um, with your background, I think you probably realize like how unique your middle school, high school years were compared to like most of us females out there. Mm -hmm. It makes me really realize like the importance of that community. Like you said, you had that like wolf pack, that like strong group of women that just you know, a range of ages that had so many different experiences, like your support system and your like learning, you were just able to almost like jump ahead and get so many different perspectives. You mentioned something that, so your, your mom started with yoga, which is just cool that like, we often forget, I think the impact that like we can have on other people, especially like potentially in the future, like as a parent, it's just cool to see that your mom had that impact on you. And then your stepdad did it. And then your brother did it. What was the change that you were noticing in them that made you want to go do this training? Yeah. So at the time, you know, I think, I think a lot of kids, fortunately and unfortunately, see their parents go through hard times. And at that time, my mom and my stepdad were having terrible marital problems and they were just fighting all the time and I was super anxious. My brother was kind of isolating himself and we all had no idea like how to cope. And then my mom found the yoga teacher training and I saw how she was able to process her emotions because before she was very reactive. She was able to take a step back, like take a breath, process her emotions, explain how she felt, and then ask for what she needed. And that was not just with my stepdad. That was with us. That was, you know, we we did like family meetings, kind of like we would meet in one of our bedrooms and we would just talk. Like a feelings meeting? Kind of, yeah. Talking about it now is like, it's heavy. It was hard. But if they hadn't done it, I wouldn't have known how to do it. And seeing them do it was like, I want, I want to have that amount of transparency, not only with my parents, not only with my brother, but with pretty much everybody in my life, because there's, there's nothing to hide. There's nothing to be ashamed of, especially if 
you recognize that everybody else is going through something too. So that was one of the big changes. I mean, physically, because they had been active, I didn't notice any crazy physical changes, but I noticed the community. Again, she was bringing in this like group of not only men, but also women in the community who just wanted to be around that energy, wanted to take the classes, wanted to be in our garage apartment. I mean, it wasn't like a nice place to practice, but they wanted to be together. And um, to see how she has transformed that. And now my stepdad, he's in there kind of like putting bikes together and putting up drywall and like doing things for the business as well. It became this thing where we all wanted to be a part of it. And that was something that I noticed where I was like, okay, like I want to do this too. Well, and now you do that for so many people yeah. too. Yeah. It's like you got all of the physical and mental health education that is never in schools. Mm-hmm. Like the the mental health work and the emotional intelligence work and like education that you got. Um, I think people never get that or they get it when they're, like you said, struggling with something, maybe when they're middle-aged or older than that. And just like having that to help you along from middle school, high school on just sounds really, um, really unique and really valuable. So we're back on the boat, Mm -hmm. Australia. Where did you go? Yeah. So in Australia, we, the pandemic hit. So We were there for a few months during the very beginning of the pandemic, and because the owner of the boat was across the world, we had to kind of wait for the go-ahead to see like, okay, what country can he get into? When can we get the family on board? That kind of thing. Um, So we were kind of on standby, and during that time, Australia was one of the most restrictive countries. So the rest of the crew had to stay on board because if the boss wanted the boat, like we didn't want to risk his Mm. health. So the only person going out was the chef, was me. So I was going out into the world and I felt like Katniss Everdeen, just like, okay, I'm going to go out for you guys (laughs) and sacrifice myself. Um, But I would go out and I would stock up on all the groceries for the week and then come back. And I did that for a few weeks. And then eventually the, it got worse where People would see me with a couple carts and, you know, the toilet paper thing was oh, huge. Oh, yeah. Like and the they, chicken thing. Then the chicken thing, yeah. yeah. So they would see me with a big amount of stuff and they would think that I was like hoarding or- For yourself. Yeah, for myself. And I had like my uniform on and I was like, no, like I work on a boat. I'm feeding a mass amount of You're people. You're in Australia at this time? Yeah. Okay. So eventually the the grocery store owner was like, okay, we're just going to have to have you like submit your order online and then pick it up around the back now because people were getting really aggressive. They were getting upset. Oh, it was insane. Yeah. I can't imagine what it was like in Australia because it was wild here. Yeah. So eventually we decided we were going to go to Fiji to meet the boss there because that's where he could fly into at the time. So we sailed the boat over to Fiji and each sale, like, it depends on where you're going, but that one took about two weeks, um, which is perfect for the quarantine time because what they do when you enter a country on a boat is you have to sit there at anchor outside of the country. The people who have all of the um, the tests for COVID, the scientists or the doctors would come out and they would swab everybody. After our quarantine period was up, we would go through customs, then we would go through. So we sat out, waited 
and then eventually got into Fiji and we were there for a few months. After Fiji, we went to New Zealand and we I finished the boat on New Zealand after America's Cup, which is like a big sailing thing. I didn't know that at the yeah. time. I was like, what is that? But apparently it's this huge, huge sailing um, competition that they do every single year or every four years. But I finished there in New Zealand. The Healthy Charleston podcast is brought to you by Made to Move Physical Therapy. Made to Move Physical Therapy specializes in helping you get out of pain and get back to doing what you love. We offer relationship-oriented, one-on-one, individualized care to all of our clients, and we believe in putting the patient's needs first. If you'd like to work with me or any of our other physical therapists at Made to Move, check out the link in the show notes and get 10% off of your first session. We have locations throughout Charleston, Mount Pleasant, West Ashley, Somerville, and Daniel Island. Don't waste another day stuck in your pain. Follow the link and schedule an appointment today. Like just to be able to be like, yeah, I spent a few months in Fiji. Like I know it was probably different because COVID was happening. But again, just like another really unique experience. Yeah. And provisioning, which is a fancy word for saying grocery shopping for the boat was really difficult in Fiji because all of the um, shipments had been stopped because of COVID. They weren't getting anything from mainland Australia. They weren't getting anything from New Zealand. So I had to make a choice. Either we were going to spend thousands more to get food flown in specifically for the boat, or I was going to source locally. So I decided to source locally. There you go. And that's where I started really learning about the importance of local sourcing, of having a relationship with your farmers, of having a relationship with your butcher. And they were like so, so grateful at that time because if you think about it, the islands, any island, whether it's Fiji, Hawaii, whatever, their livelihoods are very tourism-based. So when the world stopped, a lot of their jobs were over. They had no way of making money. So the farmers were just so grateful for us to be there and for us to be putting our money back into their economy so that they could continue their businesses. So it got to the point where I was having um, the Fijian woman, like women come and they would teach me the recipes because I didn't know how to work with Mm -hmm. their food. Like they had these crazy vegetables I had never seen before. So they would come to the boat and they would show me how to make a Fijian curry or how to make these different dishes. And the crew would meet them and it became, again, a sort of a community where we were always like checking in with the guy who roasted our coffee beans or the guy who brought us our chicken and all of that. And we ended up going to their homes for like holiday celebrations. And it was really, really a beautiful time. It was hard to see the Fijian culture and the country just kind of shut down, but it was really, really special to be there with, with the people that I was with. So what made you decide to come back? So after two years... The head chef at that time, had, his wife was pregnant right this before. This is a Serbian guy? Yes. Yeah. With um, the Q-tip? With the Q-tips. His wife was pregnant. So he, during the pandemic, had to make like a game time decision. Do I stay on this boat and potentially not get back to my wife who has a baby growing inside yeah. of her or do I ditch? And I was like, get out of here. Go. <laughs> Go to your Go wife. Go to your wife. So it was just me as chef for a little over a year. You were head chef. Dang, kind of rolled myself into that role. And um, breakfast, lunch, and dinner every single day was me. And 
it got to the point where I just got really burnt out. And, you know, it was a hard, hard, hard decision. I think it's probably the hardest decision I've ever made because I loved the experience. I loved the little family that we had built. I was dating someone on the boat at the time and I, you know, loved spending time with him every single day. But I felt like I was just missing out on time that I could be spending with my family or time that I could be spending on something that's mine. And I also recognized that I was putting so much work into an industry that was so wasteful. And I wanted to do something that had a greater purpose and it wasn't just like being the help. That's kind of what Jenny said, was like she saw the amount of food that was just being wasted. So it's interesting, y'all have a very similar path. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so then I decided to get off and I came back to the States again. I made these leaps and I continued to do so with no plan. (laughs) And it's worked this far and I've always been able to kind of land on my feet, I think just because I have a really good work ethic and that's kind of what's driven me forward is like I've always worked hard for the things that I wanted. And when I came back to the States, I had no idea what I wanted to do. And I started working for Out in the Field. Have you heard of them? No. So it's a traveling I call it like the food circus. So every single year what they do is they host these beautiful dinners at local farms. They pair it with a local chef and they travel across the country and now across the world putting on these dinners. So I started traveling with them a little bit and I did dinners in Maine and Connecticut, dropped down all the way, made it back to Charleston. I also, in the meantime, hopped on a different boat because I wanted to see like, oh, was it the yachting industry that I loved or was it the people that I was with? Turns out it was the people that I was with. Um, So that was a good learning lesson. But all of that was kind of just like sporadic work until I found Atlas on Instagram. And then I hit them with a DM More DMs. There you go. Y'all beware. She's coming for your DMs. (laughs) Truly. (laughs) Truly. But Atlas at the time was small. Um, It was Jenny, I believe, plus three chefs. And I messaged and I was like, hey, like I have this experience. I worked on boats. And she was like, I worked on boats. I was like, no way. And then she was like, well, what do you want to do? And I was like, well, I know how to cook because of the experience. So I went on board as a chef. I loved that. But I got really burnt out really quickly because I went essentially from working in a galley all day every day to working in a kitchen all day every day. Yeah, food and bev is a really tough industry. Yeah. So I told Jenny after a few months, I was like, I love this business. I love what you're doing, but I just can't be in the kitchen anymore. Like, what can I do? And it took us a few months of like growing pains where I would be in the kitchen sometimes and out of it sometimes. And I developed this role of like, it's called marketing, but it's like (laughs) marketing plus operations, plus customer communications, plus boots on the ground, plus event. It's called running a business. It's called running a small business. (laughs) It's everything. COO. Yeah. And CEO maybe. Yeah. So I was really grateful for her flexibility and letting me shift over to do that because I felt like, I mean, I'm here and I'm talking about it and I get really excited talking about it even still because I love the mission behind it. And, um, it has been just a really, really cool role to kind of develop on my own and and see that there's so much more to be done out of the kitchen as well as in the kitchen in order for this business to work. 
Dang. Yeah. So that's what you are currently doing. Mm-hmm. Okay. So yeah. what does that look like? What's it like? What's your day to day? Yeah. So day to day, I do a lot of the back end reports, just making sure that we're hitting the numbers we need to be hitting, that the customers who um, are our like best customers are ordering, are not having issues with their orders, getting new customers on. I also do all the social media. I do the website edits. We have an incredible photographer, Taylor, who does all of our photography. So I work with her sometimes doing um, some kind of food styling and stuff for the Instagram. I also, we're starting to partner with local gyms to do affiliate programs. So I manage all the affiliates and make sure everybody else is, um, you know, getting their word out and getting their money for when they work with us. I also do event planning. So this weekend we have two events. I'll also be working those events. So it's just a little bit of everything. And it's also really important for me to do team building stuff. So like staying connected with the team, I do like a Thursday weekly win. So I tell them like, hey, I know you guys are in the kitchen, but this is what's happening. We just had an article released on us. We just got a grant. We're just doing all of these different things. We're on a podcast, like those kinds of things to make sure that everybody's connected and they know that we're driving forward. And you're growing, and we're growing a lot. A yeah. Lot. yeah. What are the events coming up? So we're working with a few pop-up fitness events oh, okay. for the yeah. month of March and April. So we're doing Ace by Anne Claire. She's doing a pop-up at the Hampton Warehouse. And then on Sunday, we have jibe cycling with Nellie Rusher Clark, who's a oh, personal yeah. trainer. Okay. Um, so we'll be working with them. And it's really cool because I didn't think that working with Atlas would allow me to stay in the fitness industry. But like I know Nellie. Nellie and I taught together. And I know a lot of the trainers that we're working with through the fitness world. And I'm like, hey, like you come over here. Like you guys are worried about food too, but let me show you the importance not only of counting your macros, but of locally sourcing and of composting and of doing things that are good for the whole community and not just your your body. So it's been a really cool kind of like intermingling and it's mm-hmm. slow, but it's steady and people are starting to to recognize it. Yeah, it's really cool to see. I think just in the past few years, I'm sure you've seen it, the way that the Charleston I don't even want to call it health, but like the wellness industry Mm -hmm. has grown. I mean, there's like a gym on every corner. There's all of these like locally sourced and local businesses. Mm -hmm. Like you think of Harkin, Harbinger, The Daily, Hiriali, just like all of those places popping up and really doing very well Mm -hmm. in Charleston versus, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago, it was like, you eat and you drink mm-hmm. and you party, yeah. which we still do those things, but now we all work out together on Saturday morning. It's only growing because Charleston is growing mm-hmm. so much. And I think the people that come to Charleston are very like, we love the outdoors. We love our time freedom. It's like a little bit of a different lifestyle than I think you would get in like a, a big city, but we still have a lot of those resources. Like obviously I love Charleston. I'm sure you do too. Tell me about some of the other companies, small businesses that you work for and what you do? Yes. So I teach for a a yoga studio called Grace and it's above Williams and Sonoma. We opened a year ago in January, so a little over a year. And that studio was opened by Aaron Gray. So I met Aaron when I was teaching at the works pre-boat, so during college. She had come to my works classes and I just thought she had a really beautiful practice and she really loved coming to my classes and we kind of just became good friends. During my time on the boat, we connected via Instagram. 
if you don't have Instagram, oh, you yeah. should. Because I think a lot of people are really negative on it where they say it like zaps all your time. But I feel like if you use it the right way and you connect with people and you follow the things that inspire you, like it can only do good for you. It can so, be very powerful. Yeah. I stayed connected with Erin and she would like comment on things that I was doing and I would comment on things that she was doing. And when I came back to the States and had no idea of what I was going to do next, she asked me to do a little private luncheon for her. So I did that for her and some of her friends. And then she was like, I want to open a yoga studio. And during, right before the pandemic, she had gotten her teacher training um, through Charleston Power. Mm -hmm. And she had been teaching during the pandemic out in the park. Everybody's super, super spread out. And when the pandemic was coming to an end, she was like, I want to open a studio. Do you want to be my only other teacher? Oh, wow. <laughs> I was yeah. like, sure. Yeah. Why not? Why not? Yeah. Let's do it. So for the first like six months, it was just Aaron and I teaching back and forth. And it's – it's kind of like a, a yoga mixed with physical therapy, mixed with like some mindfulness and meditation practices. It's hard to describe, but it is a representation of where we both are in our practices. And for me, it was a slowing down because I feel like so much of my fitness journey has been about like the grind and the mm -hmm. push. Doing more, doing crushing more. yourself. And Erin showed me this, this thing that she had created and she was like, how does it feel in your body? I was like, oh my God, like it feels so much better in my own body. So the practice was designed by her pieces of things that I had done were in the practice as well. And we've kind of just created this baby. On top of that, um, I also teach at the works. I sub there and I'm hoping to get a full-time class for the summer. We'll see what happens. And... That's it for, for where I teach for now. I'm going to go back home and do a few classes at the studio, our mm -hmm. family studio. Brown dog, right? Brown dog, yeah. yeah. And it's just, you know, no matter where I teach, I always just want to learn from the people who have started these studios because they have an intention. They have a real purpose behind it. And they all have methods. And I want to learn all of those methods and see what feels best in my body and take what I can, leave what I can't and and move forward from there. So I also like have a personal training and group exercise. Like I have all the certifications, but yoga teaching has been the one thing that I've wanted to do. So I just kept doing it. Yeah. What kind of yoga, I guess there's two questions. Do you love to teach the mm -hmm. most? Yeah. So I think that's the beauty of teaching at both studios because I love a slow, intentional, like mind to muscle connection flow. But I also love like to throw down and have this high energy. So at Grace, like I will speak so much more than I will move because it is all about talking someone into a pose and explaining what the muscles are doing and what the bones are doing. And at the works, I feel like I can just like have a good time and challenge people and push people and push myself watching them move makes me want to try things that I didn't think I was capable of. So I I love the balance between like the low and the high. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What about what's your favorite right now yoga class to take? Mm. 
What are you into? So right now there's a class at Grace called SOAR that Danielle, one of our other teachers, she came on um, last year. She teaches. And that one, she kicks my butt every single time because she involves arm balances. Mm. And I love arm balances. I love the transition of the weight between the feet and the hands. So she does it beautifully. And then I also love Molly's class at the works. Her vinyasa class is so beautiful. Logan's is such high energy. She makes me want to (laughs) dance. I just, I love taking classes. I also got on a reformer recently. Oh yeah. Holy Mm -hmm. crap, that's hard. I went to the one at the Jasper, the new one. I think it's called Form. Are those mega formers? Okay. I've never never been on a, is it a mega former? Yeah. I've been on a reformer at uh, Longevity, but I yeah. haven't been on a mega former. I went and it was incredible. Like, it, yeah. it hit muscles that I had right? never it's just even so recognized were there. Yeah. Yeah. So I just love taking. And that's something that we try to involve as grace teachers is we want to take one class out in the community a month mm-hmm. as like a group because we want to see like what other people are teaching, but also like what muscles we don't even know we're, we're not yeah. hitting. Um, which is a really cool community building kind of thing. Yeah, there's a ton. Just you like you talking about it made me realize there's so many yoga studios here. Mm-hmm. That that was like Charleston's vibe. It like started off as yoga and now there's like this boutique gym and there's this boot camp and there's kickboxing. But I feel like the yoga community here is really, really strong. So we got chef mm-hmm. and you still do that a little bit right yes so okay. i i still love cooking and i'll do private chefing i do private chefing for a few families throughout the year and then during the summer it kind of picks up a little bit because people come to vacation and they'll use me for like a few days so that they don't have to go out to crazy dinners with like 12 people yeah and they kind of consistently just come back and and ask me to do it again and again so the summer will be a bit more busy I also did one of my friend's weddings this last year. Oh, oh my gosh. Her, not the wedding itself, okay, the like, reception. Either. Uh, or the, re- the, rehearsal the rehearsal dinner. dinner. Okay. Sorry, okay. the rehearsal Still, dinner. Still, that's huge. It was awesome. Yeah. It was in West oh, Virginia. And it special. was like the first one that I'd ever done of that size or of that like level. How many and people? There were, I think like 50 or 60. Okay. It wasn't too bad. Is that the biggest one you'd done? Yeah, yeah, by myself. And I say by myself like with a grain of salt because my stepdad was there helping me. Oh, nice. And he was like, what do you need? So it was it oh. was really nice yeah. yeah that's huge that's so many people yeah but then you think about like a reception mm-hmm. or like the wedding itself yeah, i can't even imagine you and then we have grace yoga mm-hmm. the works yeah atlas doing everything doing mm-hmm. a ton um with jenny and then anything else i do a little bit of crewing on sailboats so oh, when okay. i came back to charleston i still wanted to be on the water and I reached out to a boat called Mental Healing and they needed crew. And I was like, I would love to help crew. So every now and then I'm out there. I think it's just, you know, I've found ways to earn a little bit of money. It's not anything substantial, but earn a little bit of money doing what I love. And that to me has felt so much more satisfying and gratifying than doing something that I didn't really love to do. And it is a grind. It is a hustle, but it's also really, really rewarding and really fulfilling. There's this theme with everything that you do. And I, I don't know if it's the things that you do or because you're the one doing it that you kind of put that theme in there of wellness, just like overall, you're doing a lot of things, all the things that you do, you seem very passionate about, you seem very purpose-driven and they're all like taking care of your body and helping other people take care of their body. Where do you feel like, 
wellness was kind of like brought into your life and what does wellness mean to you? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think my mom was a really, really big proponent of wellness for me. Now she's the first person to go drive down to Krispy Kreme and get like a donut filled with cream and chocolate. So balance was, was huge for my life. And it was, it was something that I watched. It wasn't something that somebody was like, this is how you do it. But my stepmom owned a bakery and my mom owned a yoga studio. So it was like opposite ends of the spectrum. And I loved them both so much. So I think just being able to find the balance between them was something that helped me help guide my wellness journey and also my relationship to food. I'm so lucky. I've met a lot of people who have had a really bad relationship to food. And all I want to do is to teach them how to have a good relationship with it and to show them why it's important. Um, so that's really where the wellness kind of combined. And I, I didn't know that that thread was there until very recently. I was mentioning to you, I started Vagabond. So throughout my travels, my friends would be like, oh my gosh, like you're homeless, you're a nomad. Like, what are <laughs> yeah. you doing? Where are you? And I would, I would be like, well, I'm a vagabond. Like, I'm just, I'm just going around doing what I want to do. And they started calling me Vagabond because my last name's Vega. And that was something that just like stuck with me. It's like, okay, I don't really know what I'm doing next or where I'm going, but each little thing that I pick up along the way is what's making me who I am. So I started Vagabond Wellness and I call it Viva La Vagabond. And it's just a place where I am teaching people not only, you know, how I cook, but also how I move and why it's important to not isolate one thing out of your whole wellness journey. So I've seen a lot of people kind of shift into like, oh, I really have to nail down my fitness routine. I really have to nail down my food. I really have to nail down um, maybe my meditation, like one, one aspect. And I think it's a combination of all of it. And that sounds really, really intimidating to people because it is a lot. But instead of thinking you have to do it all in one day, I always think of it as like the cycles. And that's where Vagabond came in. So it was a combination of learning about the cycles in our life, which is very Ayurvedic, which is a um, the medicine or the, the healing of the body through food. And it's like a yogic practice. And also there's this huge thing of like cycle syncing with women. So I started learning about that. And I just recognized that we are not meant to do the same thing every single day of our lives, every single year, and that we live cyclically. How we feel in the morning is different than how we feel at night. How we feel in the spring is different than how we feel in the summer. And it's like, if you expect yourself to eat the same way, perform the same way, feel the same way every single day, you're going to set yourself up for disappointment and for failure. So Vagabond was born as a way to teach people that it's okay to not meditate today. It's okay to take a rest day tomorrow. It's okay to deadlift 300 pounds this weekend. Like whatever it is that your body is feeling, that's the most important thing to tap into is recognizing that, you know, there is a reason why you feel that way. Yeah. How do you help train people on that? Yeah. So that has been difficult for me because there's so many aspects to it. And because I have a lot of experience, people will be like, okay, teach me about the food part. 
And then somebody else would be like, teach me about the movement part. And somebody else would be like, teach me about the travel part. And I want it all to be together. Like I want to teach all of it at once. So really right now it is that isolation of like if somebody wants a one-on-one for cooking or for um, yoga, I'll do that. But the purpose of, of Vagabond is really just information. Mm-hmm. So it's not a class. It's not something that I can um, continue to give to you day in and day out, but it's information that I give to you. And then you take it and you do what you need to do with it. Because I think one of the reasons that I didn't want to be a personal trainer was because I wanted people to figure out how to do it for themselves. Like I don't, I didn't want to be relied on. I wanted them to learn how to do it and then how to take it out there and do it without me. So right now, Vagabond is an information platform and it's just a place where people ask me questions and they're like making comments and, and asking for, for more content depending on what they're interested in. And I just respond with what I know. What do you feel like is a part of wellness that most people either get wrong or they just completely forget about? It's the pendulum. And Mm. I I call it the pendulum because I think if you swing one way super, super hard, you have the ability to swing the other way just as hard. So I think what people get wrong is that they feel like they have to like put 110% into the direction, whether it's going keto or shifting to only cycling or whatever it is that they choose, they want to go like balls to the wall with that one thing. And then they forget that on the other side of that is like this huge thing where you have to rest or you have to fill your body up with good food. And um, that's probably where people go, go wrong is like they think it has to be this extreme. And really it's just going in the middle and having that swing that's very subtle side to side. Yeah, I think so many people think kind of what you said of like health and wellness is just exercise or it's just nutrition or it's just this. And they focus so hard on that, that it's like a piece of the pie and it takes up their whole pie. Mm -hmm. And that it almost becomes like, it's ironic when our healthy habits become unhealthy, Mm -hmm. which I think, as a woman in the fitness industry, like you see all the time of like working out is great for you, but then the way that some people work out or their relationship with fitness can actually become unhealthy to every other part of their wellness. So it's really, I think people kind of have to dive in to build the habit and to learn everything there is to know. But I think people, they they forget to, to go to the next level. They forget to level up. They like just fitness or they just nutrition when really it's like, yes, learn everything. What are you going to bring into your life that's sustainable? And then let's go to the next thing and let's keep building. Yeah. And I saw this video the other day and I also attribute it to like having traveled so much and seeing how other cultures view wellness. Um, And the video was like here in the United States, we have essentially taken everything out of daily life and created it as a service or a package or a product to sell back to you. So like instead of having locally sourced nutrient dense food, you're getting food that has been shipped from God knows where that's been sitting for God knows how long. And the nutrient quality is so, so low that you have to supplement. So then you buy your supplements, you buy your vitamins, you buy the green powders, the brown powders to fill it back in. And then the same thing, like we have 
stopped commuting to work through like biking and walking and we've shifted to cars and we've taken out the fitness that's already in our life ingrained in it and we put it back and we sell it to you as a gym membership. We sell it to you as a class. We sell it to you as like, if you don't do this, you're going to be, you know, unhealthy. And we just have to simplify. We have to go back to the way that not necessarily how things were. Like, I'm not telling you, you have to go like walk and get your no water from a river. <laughs> no more, no more microwaves. But it really is just about simplifying things to the level of where you don't have to, again, overcomplicate and then get lost in the details and the nitty gritty details. Because I promise you, there's a reason that people are going to other countries and not having uh, lactose intolerance. There's a reason that people are going to um, other countries and, and feeling like they're just as healthy, if not more, without changing anything just by being there. So that's something that I'm super aware of and and it's it's hard because the American way is is difficult and we think it's easier, but it's it's harming us in a lot of ways. It's our culture. It's this is something I could get like super bitter about. But it's like, yeah, love America, like we're very blessed, all those things. But then it's also like we're not perfect, definitely. And as we've westernized and industrialized you're right. We've taken all of the opportunities for health out. I was talking to someone the other day and we were talking about how like the default path is obesity and being unhealthy and chronic disease. Like if you don't fight against that in America, like that is where you go unless you are doing things actively or not doing things to be different than that. And I have this like 75 year old client and he was like, I just think it's so dumb that all of our jobs now involve us sitting at a desk and then we have to go exercise for like one or two hours. And I think it's it's that, but it's so much deeper. Like you sit at a desk with a company that you don't support, that you don't feel fulfilled by, with managers that are toxic, with a job that you don't feel uh, valuable. Like there's just all these little things that are just like deeper than the physical. It's just like, what are, what are you spending all of your time doing? And all your money. <laughs> yeah. And, and then you're just going and crushing yourself in a workout class and then doing it all over again. Yeah. And, and going home, watching Netflix and not even paying attention to the food that's on your plate when you're putting it in your body. And you wonder why there was a, a stat that was like, this crazy percent of people will be obese by this year. And that chronic disease is only getting worse and like we are only getting unhealthier that it feels really intimidating and like as much of a, a utopia as it would be to like change the culture you're gonna have to go against it mm -hmm. if, if you want to i think be well mm -hmm. here yeah is that feel really like cryptic right now i'm sorry everyone no, you're good, you're good. <laughs> no I, I definitely agree and i think you know the beauty of Charleston is that we have access to incredible farms and incredible regenerative like meat farms. The meat that we can access is like grass fed and grade A and you can get like really, really high quality things right here. Like all um, the seafood, like we have such a great, yeah. um, like different types of land very mm -hmm. close by. For Lo sure. Love the South. For sure, yeah. <laughs> So what's something that you 
feel like you've struggled with, with your health and wellness? Hmm. So I would definitely say it's like a two-part answer. Anxiety has been something that I've always, I think, had. I think I had it starting in high school when my parents were going through their issues. I developed just this need to, to have a little bit of control. And I just, I think that's one of the reasons I pushed so hard and I worked so hard. And I think it's also something that I really have to monitor at this stage in my life because when I recognize that I have like dumped onto my schedule and like literally booked myself out from the time I wake up until the time I go to sleep, I have to step back and be like, okay, like what's going on with you? What are you avoiding? What are you not wanting to think about? What are you kind of anxious about that you're trying to work, literally work your way Mm -hmm. through? So that was one. And then the other has always been my menstrual health which is so fascinating because I was put on the pill in high school. And then when I went on the boat, I wasn't going to have access to the pill. So I got the copper IUD because I was like, ooh, hormone free. It did a number on me. When I was on the boat, I would have like the worst cramps. And I never had had cramps or heavy periods before. And I had the worst cramps ever, the heaviest periods to the point where one time one of the crew walked in and I was like cutting a cucumber or something and I was like doubled over and they were like are you okay and no I was like no I'm not okay and they ended up finishing the dinner for me because I was in such pain that they were like I can cut this cucumber for you go lay down so at that point I was like okay like I've got to get this thing out of me and I ended up um taking it out myself because it hurt so bad oh my god yeah how I don't know if I want (laughs) to But wow. Yeah. So it hurt so bad that I had to get it out. And I did. And I went a few months without it. Actually, more than a few months. I went almost a full year without it. And at that time, it was the first time I had ever been off of hormonal birth control. And I had to learn like how to track your cycle and take your temperature and do all the things and essentially the fertility awareness method. And that's when I got really into cycle syncing and really into being forgiving for your body. Because like right before your period, you are not going to feel like going to a cycling class. I'm sorry, you're just not. But right after you might feel like going and being super social. So that was a point where I started learning to give myself grace. Like, okay, you can, you can take a rest or okay. Like your body really wants chocolate right now, give it, give it chocolate. Like that's how it's going to be. So those would be my top two is like the anxiety and and figuring out my own rhythm within my own body. Um, those have been the biggest struggles and the struggle with, with birth control is something that I'm super open with, with my friends about. They ask me, I've been on everything, truly everything, the pill, the diaphragm, the IUD, the patch, the shot. Like I've done all of it. I'm here to tell the tale. Oh, goodness. Yeah. Yeah. With your anxiety. And I think, thank you for sharing. I think this is something I personally struggle with. I think so many people struggle with it in this day and age when our culture is so set up to reward you for working hard, that it's almost like your hard work ethic is the thing that gets praised. So that's all you do. Yeah. So how do you, you know, what tools and strategies do you use to 
I don't want to say decrease anxiety because I think that there's all it's always there, but to to manage so that you can live the life that you want without being, you know, without suffering from it. Yeah. So I don't like the word boundaries, but it feels like a boundary. It's like it's creating a fence, not creating a wall between you and someone else or between you and whatever that task is. If you really can't do it or if you really don't want to do it, it's okay to put a fence up and to say, you know, I'm going to be over here. I'm going to say no to that, but thank you for the opportunity or thank you for thinking of me maybe next time or something like that. So it's been the ability to say no, not walling people out, putting a fence up and just having respect for your own time and your own energy. And then I would also say it sounds crazy, but like being more feminine I feel like in this culture, we're really, really masculine oriented because of that like drive for results, drive for doing more. And it's okay to like ask for help. And I, I'm so bad at asking for help, even like getting a bowl off the top shelf. I'm like, I'm going to climb mm-hmm. I could this, this countertop to do it instead of asking the person who's tallest in the room to grab it. So like being able to say like, I need help and that to me looks very feminine because it's like I am either not tall enough, not strong enough, not whatever enough to do it, and that's okay. So, yeah, putting up the fence and allowing myself to be feminine and, like, to have feelings and emotions and, like, to express those and not feel like I have to be strong all the time and I have to be um, competent all the time. Yeah. Because then you just end up covering up all the feelings and emotions. Yeah. Right? Yeah, for sure. This year, like what is something that you're really focusing on and you're hoping to improve, whether it's business, health and wellness? Yeah. Um, So I started this year with the intention of finding mentors. So for me, that looks like looking out at the community and seeing like, okay, who are these badass women or badass business owners that I really want to get to know and sliding into their DMs. (laughs) There you go, doing it again. And just talking to them. So, so far I've talked to like three or four incredible women in the community and I've done essentially the same thing every time. I've just told them a little bit of my story and said like, this is what I'm doing right now. I don't know, you know, where I want to go, but tell me about your experience as a business owner or as an employee or whatever it is and what you regret, what you've loved, um, what advice you might have. And we kind of just go off on tangents in that way. And for me, that's just a way to kind of open my horizons and think about the the other ways that I can apply my skills that I've learned and um, move forward. So that's one is like finding mentors and that has been awesome so far. And then my other is creating more education opportunities about Vagabond. And that's, that's just the name that I gave it, but it's essentially just about integrating all of these wellness practices into your life without feeling overwhelmed. So creating those opportunities may look like offering talks or having like literally a wolf pack gathering where like women come and they just sit and they ask questions and um, we'll see what that looks like. But that's that's the goal. Yeah. Yeah. What's something that you feel like has really fueled you throughout all of your all of your journeys and all of your your different things? Yeah. So. I think you said it earlier is like when I was talking about meeting Francis or getting on the boat, it was, it was like something I'll never get to do again. And 
honestly, what drives me is like continuing to do those things, continuing to do the things that I'll never have the chance to do again, because I always just want to do incredible, incredible things that, that feel like once in a lifetime, but they happen again and again Mm -hmm. and again. And it's like, holy crap, if your life is made up of all of those moments of all of those experiences, like what a life, what, how much you can learn, how many people you can meet, how many people you can impact. So it's just chasing those, those experiences and also recognizing that you don't have to travel across the world and join a boat and change your life to have those. Like I have had it right here in Charleston working for a small business because I've recognized that, you know, the people that I work with and the mission that we stand for is a once in a lifetime thing. Like it's a thing that, that I feel strongly is going to make a change. And, you know, two years from now, maybe I'll be doing something just, just as strong, just as powerful. So it's, it's that, that's my drive. Anything exciting coming down the pipeline with Atlas? Mm, Yes. So we are opening up the Atlas Food Collective. Um, It is going to be on Meeting Street, very close to the works, very close to the Guild, F45, all of that kind of stuff. And the goal behind it is to offer Atlas at a grab-and-go cafe location. Also, maybe do some, like, really cool drinks. I was designing the menu, and, like, I want to put on, like, a bone broth latte and, like, things that people oh, wow. are starting to get really yeah. into. But we don't have that here in Charleston. Raw milk would be awesome, but I don't know if it's legal. We'll find out. <laughs> um, I have no idea. But there's going to be that part, the cafe part, and then the – collective grocery part, which is something that we do also online right now, is we offer locally sourced goods. So we do local eggs, we'll do local butter, we'll do um, local meats. Uh, We partner with people like Mabel Mays or the elderberry syrup lady and just offer kind of a grocery grab and go, also fresh produce from the farms. For those people who live in that area who are kind of in a little bit of a food desert, they have to go pretty far to get to the grocery store for them to pick up groceries. So that sounds amazing. Great. Yeah. When are y'all hoping to open that? We're hoping May, potentially June. Okay. Um, so we'll see how it goes. But in the meantime, we're just we're popping up all over the city doing these events at um, fitness studios, doing events at things like the Bridge Run mm-hmm. and um, CrossFit competitions and stuff like yeah. that. Because we found that our industry, you know, is a lot of people who are already in wellness and then they kind of reach out to the people who don't maybe have their fitness game going, but they really want good food. So it's kind of a a winner takes all pretty much because you get to, you get to reach the fitness people and then you get to reach the people who just want to eat really well. Yeah. So can we do both? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. What's one thing that you do every day or most days that keeps you healthy and sane? Mm, I love to write. Writing is like my my number one thing. I've got over 15 journals. Oh I started gosh. them. Yeah. I started them when I was in high school. And who knows? I'm I would love to publish something, but I also need to edit a lot of stuff. <laughs> you hire someone for that. I need to hire somebody to edit things. Um, but yeah, writing, whether it's like five minutes or 15 minutes, that's the way that I process because I just felt when I was so young that I didn't know how to verbalize things. It's really scary to talk about how you're feeling, but it's so easy to write it down and to not show anybody and to like process it that way. So that's that's what I do. Do you follow, this is something 
super selfish of me because I've been looking to get into more journaling. Like, do you follow a prompt? Like, how do you get started if someone's like new to writing and journaling? Yes. So there's a book called The Artist's Way. She does three pages every single morning. They're called your morning pages where you wake up and you write three pages. It doesn't matter what it is. It could be your grocery list. It could be whatever you dreamed last night. It could be anything. Just make sure you fill three pages and then you're done. It's um, a lot. So it is a, a lot. lot of pages. It is a lot, but it's fascinating how much comes out that you're like, I had no idea I was thinking about yeah, that. Yeah. Oof. Um. So she does that, and the artist way is actually a really good way to start to like tap into your own like autonomy and creativity. She does that for I believe thirty days, probably more. Okay. You're also supposed to take yourself out on dates, like artist dates. Oh, I love that. Stuff like that. Like being so. alone, going to dinner. That's yeah. it's It was a really cool- The like, artist book. way? Yeah. Okay. I think it was like made in the 90s. My mom showed it to me and yeah. Any other books that have really influenced you or that you really recommend? Oh, yes. So I love reading. Atlas Shrugged is my favorite book of all time. If you have a lot of time and a lot of patience, it's like thick- like over 2,000 oh gosh. pages maybe. Like it's big. Yeah. It's big. But it is so, so good. So that's my favorite book. I would also say I recently read The Second Mountain, which I think was really cool. It talked about just how you're, you have two mountains in your life. One is like your first stage of like getting through college, getting married, getting a career, getting established. And then your second mountain is like once you've established all of your things, your family, your career – you recognize this is kind of like your midlife crisis. You recognize like there's so much more out there. What am I actually doing that has a purpose? And that's your second mountain. It was a really, really good book because I feel like, you know, we put so much weight onto figuring it out right now at 25 and you're going to have so many more mountains to climb that this one is just like your first little baby one. Um, So it's really not as as important as impactful or as like terrifying as it seems. Yeah. It's just because yeah. it's the the only one that you've had. Yeah. So then when you've had like four of them, you're like, oh, this is nothing. This is nothing. Yeah. yeah. What is your favorite Friday night activity in Charleston? <sighs> oh my gosh. I would say like not every Friday night, but like if you were really going to plan this one out and like have a good one, I would go for a sunset sale. I oh, wow. love a sunset sale and then like weave it right into going to a nice dinner. I really am loving Burns right now just because it's like a small little mm-hmm. house that they've turned into a restaurant. Um, walking down from the dock, literally walking from the dock through the battery through all of the old houses and then stumbling upon a restaurant, whichever restaurant it is that you're feeling, going to dinner and then either going home or if you can find it, they have swing dancing nights. So I love swing dancing here in Charleston. It is so fun. Um, And there are certain like bars that will do it on Friday nights. So if you can find some swing dancing, you go you don't even need a partner. You can just go and like find somebody to dance with and then each song you trade off. And that sounds like a good night this to me. This sounds like a really good yeah. date also. <laughs> yeah. What about your favorite Sunday activity? Oh, my favorite Sunday activity, farmer's markets mm. all day long. I yeah. love a farmer's market. And then after a farmer's market, Jenny's ice cream. Oh, favorite flavor? Gooey butter cake. Oh, yes. yeah. I haven't been at Jenny's in so long. They just came out with a new flavor. Um, biscuits with the boss. Oh, yeah. For Ted Lasso. For Ted Lasso. Yeah. It's really good. I it's very it. good. 
I, you might have already answered this, but favorite Charleston restaurant? Oh my gosh, Wild Olive. Oh, I still down. haven't been there. I don't know how. Oh my gosh, yeah. it's the best. And there is, I'm, I have a really big sweet tooth because of my stepmom in the bakery. Um, best cake in Charleston. I will put my money on it and my life. What kind of cake? Well, it's whatever Cara Corbell makes. Oh, okay. She's the pastry chef. So like no matter Waddle. what, it's the no best. No matter what. Mm. Like she crushes it. And every single year for my birthday, I'll DM her on Instagram yeah. and I'll say, hey, will you make me another cake? Oh. I don't even care what flavor it is. Yeah. She makes it different every oh, single wow, year. Oh, wow. I got to go. Yeah. Favorite type of exercise? Mm. I would say lifting. Hmm. Lifting is like where I found my own groove. I started lifting in high school when I was on the soccer team. And then I just kept lifting through college. And actually at CFC, I taught a class called Butts and Guts. Oh, my God. And Amazing. it was it wasn't specifically for women, but it was mostly women yeah. who were there. And it was essentially to teach women how to deadlift, how to squat, how to lunge, how to do these basic movements and compound movements safely because I always viewed the gym as like the watering hole and the men as like these big lions and animals and like the girls as like gazelles just trying to get a sip of water at the squat yeah. rack, but they were too intimidated <laughs> yeah. to. And by the time I was graduating, like women were pushing weight, mm -hmm. which was so cool to that's see. That's awesome. So yeah, lifting is like my my happy place. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Favorite pair of workout shoes? <sighs> workout shoes. Oh, you're going to kill me. I don't know the name of them. Are you currently wearing them? I'm not. They okay. have a really wide toe box. They're not ultras. Um, it's, it's not Noble, is it? Mm -mm. Is it Nano? Mm-mm. Reebok? Mm-mm. Wide toe box. It's a super wide toe box. I'll find the name and I'll send it to yeah, you. Yeah, okay. We'll be waiting. Yes. Mm -hmm. Where can our listeners find you and connect you with you? Um, Online, you can find me. <laughs> Those DMs. On the DMs. <laughs> slide in. Um, Viva La Vega is my personal Instagram. And then Viva La Vega Bond is the one where I just share a bunch of information about cycles and food and fitness. And I also have a website. If you want me to do any private chefing or any personal yoga, or if you have a writing gig for me, that would be sweet. You can reach out to me there. And in person, find me at Grace Teaching, find me at The Works Teaching. And when the collective opens, I'll be back there making food. So come see me there too. There's and a lot on, of ways. On Friday nights, you're swing dancing. And on Friday nights, I'm, I'm waiting for dance. this date. I want to go yes. on the sunset, the sunset cruise. Yes, yeah. That sounds great. Awesome. Thank you so much, Lauren. This has been fabulous. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. All of her links to connect with her are in the show notes below. Please follow us on Instagram at Healthy Charleston and subscribe to the show and have an amazing week. Bye.